Hallelujah, Christ is risen. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. On this holy night, sounds of rejoicing go out throughout the whole world as the church joined to Jesus so intimately in the Paschal mystery rejoices to meet the risen Lord. On this night, we are bidden by angels and the Lord of the angels to set aside fear, to cast aside mourning, and to grab hold of the feet of Jesus with boldness, those feet which the nails have pierced, those feet which held him to the cross, those beautiful salvation-bearing feet. These feet so worthy to be worshipped are not the resuscitated feet of a once-dead Messiah. No, they are the glorious feet of the one who has triumphed over death and the grave, who has trampled down death by death with his feet and emerged from hell on his feet in total, absolute, unqualified victory. Alleluia. These are the feet under which all things, both in heaven and earth, are now in subjection. God becoming everything to everyone, and glory are they worthy of worship. And so tonight we worship, we celebrate, we stay up way past our bedtimes, and we with Jesus look the things of death in the face and cry out, O oh, death, where is thy victory? O oh, death, where is thy sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Alleluia. These women come to the tomb simply to see it. Mary Magdalene, so prominent among the disciples, a woman from whom Jesus had cast out seven demons, a woman so full of love for him, would follow him anywhere, even and especially to the grave. And the other Mary, the Sabbath being over, head down to the tomb. It should be noted that they are not only going to the place of the Lord's burial, but also to the place of his crucifixion. Golgotha, the place of the skull, is inside the same church that was later built over these two sites. Golgotha is so called either because the place looked like a skull or because, as Jerome says, it being a place of execution, the skulls of those executed simply piled up over time. Or you can take what Origen says and what I like best, that the skull of Adam happened to be buried there. These women have not gone to a place of life. They have gone to a place of death. Now last summer I visited the Church of the Holy Sepulcher and I knelt inside the shrine built over the tomb of Jesus. And a tour guide took us back into the old Armenian chapels where a few years ago there was a fire, and that fire burned off all the plaster from the walls. And behold, behind that plaster, what was there? First century burial caves. What do you know? The idea was that you would place a, bear, a body in the burial cave, and it would decompose. 
And later you would go and gather the bones and place them in an ossuary. These women go not to see his body or to gather his bones, but simply to be close to him in his death, as close to him as possible. Other accounts say that they brought spices, perhaps thinking that they could do at least this last honor for the body of their Lord. But here in Matthew's accounts, there are no spices. The tomb is shut. There is no way in. A very large stone had been rolled in front of the tomb, and guards had been placed by Pilate to keep the disciples from stealing the body. But the disciples, who the heck knows where they are? (laughs) They can't even do the job of stealing the body to put on some kind of show. What the women see there is an angel clothed in white, as white as snow, with an appearance like lightning. I can only imagine what that was like. It would be like one gigantic Tesla coil. And he descends from heaven, and he rolls back the stone, and he just has a seat. It was a sight so fearsome that the guards posted the tomb either passed out or were seized with terror. They became like dead men. The women would have immediately seen something even more fearful to them than the angel. That looking inside the tomb, there was nothing there. No body, no Jesus, not even a stench. What could have possibly happened? The body couldn't have been stolen easily with the guard placed outside the tomb. And certainly the women knew that Jesus could raise a man from the dead, but they had also seen Jesus crucified. What good could he be to a dead man when dead himself? What had happened to their Lord was not something, simply something he could have recovered from or been given CPR for or some kind of drug for. The damage was too extensive. They had seen it themselves. Besides, it was Jesus, the only man they knew who could raise another from the dead, and what on earth could he do now? They are afraid simply because the man that they had known and loved was now gone. The hellish nature of Good Friday was unbearable in itself. They simply wanted to confirm, at least we can go to his tomb, at least we can be with him, at least we can be as near as possible to his remains. And now not even that could happen. You see, the hell of Good Friday without this great mystery which we celebrate tonight would not just be a tragedy. It would mean that this life and ultimately our death are meaningless. If the best man who ever lived, if the one that they had known as the Messiah, a man so kind and good, could simply be crucified by the greatest power the world had ever known, by crowds, by the fickle passions of human beings. And that was that. What a hell this life is. We might as well just become nihilists. 
Paul would later write of this, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all men most to be pitied. How fearsome this life would be. How terrible, how terrifying. And yet the message of the angel to those women on that night is this. Do not be afraid. This seems to be a thing with angels. To meet an angel means to have all of our preconceived notions of the universe struck down. To know that there is more than meets the eye. And these women have seen wondrous things, miracles, healings, even Lazarus raised from the dead. But now they have become partakers of another world. They, like the first Mary we meet in the Gospels, Jesus' own mother, have become true daughters of Zion. Women who have been redeemed, transferred from one kingdom to another, as Isaiah writes. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion, put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust, arise, O captive Jerusalem, loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you are sold for nothing. and you shall be redeemed without money. Isaiah continues on later, Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. These women as witnesses to the resurrection have been joined to Jesus through this witness in his death and resurrection. And in 50 days, the Holy Spirit will be poured out on them in power like fire from heaven. They have died with Christ and have been raised to this new life of grace, a life of hope, a hope which has now been planted deep inside of them where no sorrow can get. And thanks be to God, thanks be to God that the same thing happened to you and to me on the day of our baptism. Thanks be to God that we were buried with Christ and raised to a new life. The gifts of faith, hope, and love planted in us. What a joy to be an Easter people and not a Good Friday people. What a joy. And just as Mary, the mother of Jesus, was greeted by an angel with the word hail. You remember that, right? Hail. So are these women who experience literally the reversal of the curse Eve received. Greeted by the Lord Jesus with hail. That word means simply rejoice. Do not be disheartened. Do not be afraid. Do not be troubled. 
by this sin-sick world or the death that surrounds you. What they heard from the angel, they now hear from the Lord's own lips. That they are to tell the disciples to go to Galilee, where they also will see him. In seeing the risen Jesus, they have beheld the very triumph of God over sin and death. That being accomplished, what more can be feared? And also he says to them too, he says the very thing the angel says. It's getting redundant at this point, but it's because Jesus says it. Do not be afraid. Anything that happens in Scripture twice in the same chapter, pay attention. Do not be afraid. John Paul II once said, Do not be afraid. Open wide the doors for Christ. Tonight, if you came here holding anything back, be not afraid. Tonight, do not be afraid to love Jesus too much. That's impossible. Do not be afraid to open your life to his will and to his grace. Do not be afraid to be a powerful witness to him. And if you do not know him on this night, if you do not know the power of his resurrection, I invite you right here, right now, at the 11th hour on this holy night to receive him, to open wide the doors. Do not be afraid. Several Easter's ago, there was a man in my parish, a Chinese man whose mother was in the hospital and she had been there for some time and she was dying and everyone knew it. And his wife, his mother had always been an avowed Buddhist. And he held out hope to the very last breath she took, seemingly to me, that she would become a Christian. And she came in and out of consciousness as she lay dying. And on the very last day of her life, she had four hours of unbroken lucidity. And there this man became a witness to the resurrection to his own mother. And she, with great joy, received the gospel and was baptized right there on the bed that two hours later she would die on. That Easter, I left the church to go see this beautiful body of this dead saint who had become a Christian at the 11th hour. Only the risen Christ can pull that one off. Only the risen Christ can reverse a curse that bad. And we see that tonight. As Eve took the word of Satan and gave it to her husband, these women are to take the living word of life a word of salvation, and give it to the men. Women tonight, don't forget that. That's your job in the church, is to give men the word of life. As Thomas Aquinas writes, just as the women had announced the words of death to the first man, so also a woman was the first to announce to the apostles the words of life. And so Thomas calls Mary Magdalene, in particular, the Apostola Apostolorum, the apostle to the apostles. And it is this apostolic faith which the, word, which the church, thanks be to God, still proclaims 
that Christ has risen from the dead. We, an unbroken witness tonight, proclaim so much that this very building shakes, shakes with the joy of Easter, with the word, Alleluia. When you say Alleluia, you cannot say it with the voice only, can you? Alleluia. But with your whole being, your voice, your mind, your body, your heart, your soul. When we say Alleluia, it is an encouragement to brother and sister alike to praise the Lord. All of us praising the risen Christ, lifting up our weak siblings in the Lord, even as they lift us up. If you came here tonight weak and tired and wondering, what the heck am I doing here? What left do I have of faith in Jesus? Be lifted up by that. We are given this word from our brothers and sisters, this word which originated in these two women, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the other Mary who you don't know much about. A word given that goes out through the whole church so that we may not grow weary in this life, so that we do not forget that we are made to be a people of praise, a people who sing Alleluia, a people who someday will bust out of our caskets scrape through the ground by the power of the risen Christ and stand and say that word again, Alleluia, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.